We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello? We're on to Cincinnati. You play to win the game. It was all that Dan Marino's fault. Everyone knows that. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Rockpile Report, AFC East Roundup, hosted by Bill's season ticket holder, Drew Gear, a part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the AFC East Roundup Podcast. I'm your host, Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and it's draft season. In fact, it's been draft season for a full final week. calendar month. We've reached, it's been a long month. It really has. Of just pre-draft prep and discussion for pretty much everybody out there. And this week has been a nice decompression from all of it. I mean, we just had a great philosophical conversation with uh, Greg Thompson and Bruce Nolan. Uh, if you're a Bills fan, you know who those two people are. And that pretty much every Bills fan should listen to before the draft. As we looked at topics on a lot of fans' minds as we head into this weekend shenanigans. In the run-up of all this, though, it's not uncommon for people to get so focused on our own situation that we forget to take a look around at our competition. And remember that they're still there. Okay, There's still things going on around us that are going to affect the Bills' season in 2021 outside of our control. A lot of it's going to depend on what these other teams do. I thought last year was the first year of 19 more, where we win the division, maybe lose it once or twice. Well, the, here's the thing. <laughs> you you say that, right? And there's a lot of Bills fans out there who feel exactly the way you do. I mean, the Bills were the best team in the AFC East last year by a pretty wide margin. And they do indeed still look capable of fielding a strong roster in 2021 in a bid to be the first team. Listen to this, Chris. The first team since New England to repeat as division champions since the Bills did it in 1990 and 1991. That's how long it's been since anyone but New England repeated as AFC East champions. That's impressive. That's horrifying. (laughs) Think about that. Nobody but the Patriots has been able to maintain a year-over-year back-to-back grip on the uh, back-to-back on the top spot in the AFC East in three decades. 
that alone should be a somewhat sobering thought for Bills fans out there who, thanks to an MVP caliber performance from our quarterback that kind of surprised everybody last year, and the way our offense evolved and just the type of football we were playing, think that it's going to be easy to repeat that again in 2021. Okay? There's other teams out there that have made moves and are going to keep making moves. I mean, and with that in mind, we've watched this offseason as every team around us has made some significant strides towards at least narrowing the gap between themselves and our team that went 6-0 and in the AFC East for the first time in forever. I can't recall the last time we swept the division. That, no, that's, n- that's never happened. The Bills have never swept the division. We've been swept. <laughs> many of, We've been many of times. Always, we were always the sweeper, never the sweepy. But you think about it, the Patriots offseason spending spree, Miami's just incredible amount of draft capital that's allowing them to take this really cost-effective cost growth process. It, it's really interesting how they're going about this. The Jets angling to draft hopefully another hopefully franchise-changing quarterback. I want to make sure I say that right. A quarterback who they hope this time around well, you, be the guy who gets the job done. You also have to support the quarterback, which I'm sure Scott will attest to. They never did that, did that was Sam Darnold. Well, exactly. So we're back here in the AFC's roundup to bring in our just usual bevy of guests, including someone we haven't gotten to speak to in quite a long time. But you might even call him the star of the show tonight. But having our, as Bills fans, having our own ducks in a row and our mindsets fairly settled on things, we're going to take a look around the AFCs to get a feel for how the other teams in our division plan on attacking this weekend, their hopes, their fears for the respective franchises, and more. So we lead in with the New England Patriots, and here to talk to us about it tonight is Mike DeBate from Locked On Patriots. Mike, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, gentlemen. Always a pleasure to join you on the microphone. Okay. It's always a pleasure to join us on the microphone. But yet, this is the first time I've ever said your last name correctly. Well, you know, technically, technically you're not saying it incorrectly because the Italian pronunciation of my last name is Diabate. That's how it's supposed to be said. So technically, I haven't corrected you because technically you're not wrong. Chris, you know how much I love technicalities. Yeah, well, for me as a producer, I I try to – when we get new guests on or – that have maybe a, a, an odd last name, you know, before you actually press the record button. You want to get that, you want to get that down. And I, when you came over tonight and said that to me, I was like, but there on his Twitter, it, there's an apostrophe. Like, <laughs> I, I don't think that, the, I go, you, I'm like, you might be, affect the you last, might be right. But that doesn't affect the last vowel. And leave it to at Gustoon on Twitter, who's a Jets fan, by the way, was like, hey guys, I think you've been pronouncing his name wrong. It's debate. <laughs> and, I was, and when he said it to me, I was very dismissive. I said, no, 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 no. He would have corrected me if I was wrong that many times. Is there a reason that you didn't stop me from calling you the wrong thing? Did you think we were trolling you? Just as like, hey, they're Bill's guys. They're going to call me by the wrong last name. 
Oh, no, no. Honestly, it never entered my mind. Although, now that you say that, no, I'm just kidding, guys. No, seriously. Uh, all, no, in all honesty, I never really corrected you because technically it, you are correct. Diabate is the way you're supposed to pronounce it in uh, the Italian pronunciation. Actually, it's Dabate, so that's why it became Dabate. Uh, believe it or not, years ago, the pronunciation was Americanized, and it just it stuck. So that's kind of how I go with it professionally. But Diabate is really how you're supposed to pronounce it. And so technically, you weren't wrong. So I really didn't have anything to correct. Well, I, that, that makes me feel better. That makes me feel better <laughs> because today, driving over to Chris's house, I felt like a jerk off. Now, when we t- speaking of jerk offs, we're going to talk about the New England Patriots. <laughs> oh, nicely! Yeah, if yeah, we had a horn, are. if we had, a, if I had a clown horn, I would, I would, I would do it right there. How <laughs> happy are you with the Patriots roster as it currently stands? As it currently stands, I mean, you have to be relatively happy. Happier this year than you were last year. Look, bottom line, the New England Patriots still have their issues. They still have some holes in the roster, and there's still a lot that needs to be worked out on the field before people start saying, oh, they're right back in contention for an AFC East title or a conference title. Patriots still have a long way to go in that regard, in my opinion. But they've upgraded at a few key positions. Uh, Obviously, the tight end position, uh, huge additions, uh, whether it be Jonu Smith, or whether it be Hunter Henry. Now the Patriots can run that 12-man personnel that they haven't been able to run in quite some time. And it will be impressive, provided they get solid quarterback play. And that's still one of the big question marks on this team. Wide receiver is still a little bit up in the air. Obviously, the retirement of Julian Edelman hurts them because the leadership that he brings on the field, his ability to be a solid contributor in the slot and on the outside is something that's going to be difficult to replicate. Kendrick Bourne can come in and play pretty well. I like the addition of Nelson Aguilar, maybe not at the price they paid for him, but I still think that he can contribute a little bit as well, be that outside deep threat the Patriots haven't had in quite a while. And one of the the under-the-radar signings that I've really loved for this team is Matt Judon at the linebacker position. Now, all of a sudden, you've got that little bit of a pop in the edge rush. He comes in, acts as a mentor for guys like Anthony Jennings, Josh Uche. I love the pairing there. Henry Anderson coming in and, uh, you know, solidifying the middle part. Don't forget you you guys get Dante Hightower back. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was saying, don't forget you get Dante Hightower back. Well, Dante Hightower is maybe the best addition to this team that really isn't considered an addition. I mean, everybody is just counting on him coming back from COVID, but they missed him tremendously in the middle part of that defense last year. He's the quarterback of that defense, and he's going to be able to dictate traffic, especially with someone like Patrick Chung now retired. It's going to be such a vital role for Dante to play this year, and the New England Patriots are lucky to have him back. I'll tell you, as an Alabama fan, it sickens me that you and Miami seem to end up with the best Alabama prospects, and the ones that the Bills get end up somewhere else within a few years. Darius Ragland. Stop it! Stop <laughs> rubbing it in! So, when you look at what you guys did in free agency, what are the remaining holes, and how well positioned do you think the Patriots are to address them in the upcoming draft? Well, obviously, the big question mark right now is quarterback. And as much as Cam Newton signed a team-friendly deal, comes back with only $3.5 million guaranteed, it's a one-year deal. Cam seems to be betting on himself that he's going to have a better year than he had in 2020. 
It's still up in the air, guys, and it's still a question mark. Is Jarrett Stidham ready to take that next step? There are a lot of people uh, that are connected to the organization, outside the organization, that believe he is. There are some that believe that he's not. Um, obviously, you have those two guys on roster right now, Jake Dolagala obviously being a practice squad addition. So where do the Patriots go from there? Do they make a move in, for, in uh, via a trade to bring back a veteran such as a Jimmy Garoppolo that's been here before and knows the system? Uh, a lot of people are thinking that deal is ultimately dead, but there are still some that believe that there is a chance that this could happen over the weekend, over draft weekend. So I wouldn't count anything out when it comes to the Patriots. If they do make a move up in the draft, and again, I just my belief that it's very unlikely that they will do that, uh, it most likely would be for a quarterback. But there is still positions of need on this team. Cornerback, outside corner may be a need. If the Patriots decide that they're going to move on from Stephon Gilmore, then that would be a position that they need to address. If they're going to keep Gilmore and they're going to trade away J.C. Jackson, that's a possibility as well. Uh, you think about the offensive line. They the, you know, just recently re-added and then subtracted once again Dustin Woodard who uh, I still don't understand that situation but yeah, what is uh, that? it looks like he's uh, he's once again gone from the Patriots so they could use a backup swing someone that could come in and play that position as well they have a needed safety with Chung out so there are still positions of need on this team that have to be addressed and obviously the wide receiver position as well I don't think they're done at that uh, uh, um, position in their uh, depth chart at all how weird is it knowing that you're just in the because the Buffalo Bills for forever lived in this world where we were just a mediocre football team. And so all every year, Chris, you saw it year over year. The Bills would draft somewhere in the late teens, never in the 20s, never in the late teens, mid teens, probably like between nine and 21, between nine and I'd even say like 17. Yeah. Year over year over year. And it never got better. And in the wake of that, we drafted a lot of mediocre talent, both in the first, second, and third round. (laughs) Is there any fear amongst Patriots Nation that that's something that could happen again now with you guys being here? Because this is uncharted territory. You're used to being at the back of the pack, playing with house money because your team that exists is so talented. Team as it exists right now, like I said, does have a lot more talent this year than they did last year. But again, there's still a lot of question marks. Yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, um, I don't want to say fear in the organization, but I think there's still a lot of concern that right now, being middle of the pack or you know a little bit below middle of the pack when it comes to the teams in the conference and in the league is something where the Patriots could find themselves for a good long time unless they put this type of free agency hall together with a solid draft and really put together an opportunity to once again become back in contention. I still think this is the Buffalo Bills division to lose. I firmly believe that. I believed it last year. I still believe it this year. Uh, There's still a lot of teams in the AFC that have a stronger roster, top to bottom, both sides of the ball than the Patriots, but they're in a better position right now to move forward and they put their free agent capital to good use. They had a great amount of uh, cap space, a lot more cap space than this team has had in quite some time. They did put it to good use. Now it's going to be all about having a solid draft, surrounding this team with young talent, 
that can uh, really help the uh, the veterans on this team round out. If they do that with the tutelage of Bill Belichick, then the Patriots will be a team that will you know hang around contention and maybe prop and then maybe uh, in position to make the playoffs this year. But anything beyond that, I think, is a little bit too lofty of a goal, especially for 2020. How much of the prospects for the Patriots in 2021 do you think hinge on this upcoming draft class? Like, how much of an immediate impact do you think this class needs to make for you guys to improve your result from last season? Uh, I'm not necessarily sure that all the uh, the pressure has to be put on this draft class. I think it's going to be a blend of the veterans they have in place, the players that they have on roster uh, that have been a member of this, that have been members of this team for quite some time. But look, there are uh, you know positions of need that will need to come in and do a good job right away. If they do decide that they're going to draft a wide receiver in the first round, by doing so, I think in a lot of ways that uh, you know the pressures of living up to what Julian Edelman. Uh, uh, brought to the, uh, the the table are going to be on this person's shoulders. Now, is that necessarily fair? Is it a realistic expectation? No, but I think the fans are going to expect it. That's if they go in that uh, direction in the first round. They could end up going, uh, you know, defense, or they could end up going corner in the first round specifically on defense uh, that would be the position that I would think they'd target unless they wanted to go after a generational linebacker talent like Micah Parsons if he happens to slip to number 15 guy can dream <laughs> I would love to see that but uh, in any case uh, I don't necessarily know if there is an immediate need for this draft class to come to fruition right away. This is going to be more about the long haul. This is going to be more about Bill Belichick taking the long approach and maybe taking a look at teams maybe two or three years down the line and saying this guy can fill this role, this guy can fill that role once the veterans have played what they've done here. Fair enough. Everybody has these scenarios that they play out in their head. Pre-draft, you all come into this with connotations of Here's what I think a good draft looks like. Here's the thing that makes me want to take my laptop and wing it into the f- <laughs> wing it into the field. What's your best and worst case scenario for the New England Patriots? Uh, best case scenario would obviously being able to work a deal where you can not give up too much capital and be able to draft your quarterback of the future. I mean, that's really the biggest need on this team. We can talk all about holes on the roster and a need for you know offensive line or a need for corner or a need for receiver, but ultimately this team is without a franchise quarterback that can lead this team for a number of years to come. Even if Cam has a very good season this year, you're probably looking at only retaining his services for one more year in addition to this, and that's probably best-case scenario. So you need to plan for the future. What type of scenario gives you that chance is to trade up and get your quarterback of the future. Now, if the Patriots decide that one of these top five quarterbacks is not their guy for the future, do they try to swing a trade? Do they try to bring a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo back, thinking that maybe Bill Belichick can draw out of him what, maybe Kyle Shanahan and San Francisco couldn't. I think that's a very remote possibility at best, but that would be a best-case scenario where the Patriots walk away from this draft, filling some holes, getting some solid players that can make contributions, but also getting their quarterback of the future. I think in worst-case scenario, when it looks like what the Patriots would do is 
backfilling positions of need, going for simply the best available talent on, on the board, um, utilizing the draft poorly, either trading up too much or trading back too much and missing out on value, and for lack of a better term, drafting another wide receiver that just doesn't pan out. I think Bill Belichick is keenly aware of that. I'd be surprised to see him do that. If he's going to take a wide out, I think it's going to be someone he knows is a can't-miss prospect. Uh, but that would be worst-case scenario for the Pats. And that's a funny thing because that's the strength of this class. Like The wide, the, the wide receiver group, your, your friend and ours, Mark Schofield, came on our mm-hmm. show and told us that last year 13 wide receivers were taken – in the top 60, top 62. And this year could trump that. That's just how deep it is. That's where the talent in this draft lies. But if you if you see New England taking a wide receiver like in the second round, you know they're just going to take the 2021 version of Chad Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know y'all up in Watchard Park would love that, but uh, look, there is a, a deep draft class, and Mark is absolutely right on the money. Mark is actually my guest on Locked On Patriots on Wednesday, so we're going to talk some wide receivers. And look, whether you think about the two Bama guys, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, everybody seems to be battling over them. Jamar Chase, obviously a tremendous uh, talent. These guys are going to be taken early on. They're not going to be on the board when the Patriots are sitting there at 15. So if they need to make a move at wide receiver, they have to trade up to do it now who might slip to them at 15 who do they have a realistic shot the guy that i love and this is someone that mark loves as well is rashad bateman out of minnesota excellent route runner short hands plays his assignment as assigned this kid to me really screams new england patriot it reminds me an awful lot of justin jefferson last year who was another one that i really thought the patriots would make a move for he ends up getting taken off the board right before the patriots were scheduled to pick in the first round and they traded that pick uh terrace marshall out of lsu is another possibility Kadarius tony uh from florida rondale moore from purdue is actually moving up some of these boards you're seeing him being taken in a lot of mocks in the first round and the talent just gets deeper than that you talk about second round options i'm on ross st brown of usc is someone that i think is a complete wide receiver that could do some great things in New England. Uh, one of my favorite guys in this draft is Amari Rogers, who probably can be had in the middle part of the second round, maybe even early into the third. So this is a very, very deep class. And if the Patriots make a move here for any one of those guys, you have to consider it a win. It'd be an immediate upgrade from what they have on the roster. Well, that's for certain. Mike, we appreciate you now that we have an understanding of what your last name is and how it's pronounced. <laughs> we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us. You have Schofield on Wednesday. What else do you have coming up post-draft, and where can people find you on social? Oh, definitely, guys. Always a pleasure. And like I said before, you never really mispronounced my name, so I can't get on you for that or, or correct you for that. Um, but all, any, all kidding aside, I always love coming on and talking ball with you guys. Draft is definitely the king when it comes to the Locked On Podcast Network for the next couple of days. Mark Schofield joining me on Wednesday. Keegan Stifel of Pat's Pulpit of SB Nation joining me for a pre-draft show on Thursday. And then Steve Balistrieri of BatsFans.com giving you a day one recap on Friday heading into the weekend. We'll continue to give you updated all over the Locked On Podcast Network. Instant reaction and a live draft show all three nights sponsored by the Locked On Podcast Network. You can follow me on the Bird app, M-D-A-B-A-T-E. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate 
isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And that brings us to the New York Jets. And as always, arguably our favorite guest on this entire show, the most consistent, if nothing else, Mr. Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. How are you doing, sir? Uh, true. You're showering me with compliments to distract me from the fact that I'm a Jets fan who lives a sad existence. I appreciate you for that, and it is good to talk to you guys. It's been way too long. <laughs> I love the fact that you're going to like you're going to go work a Phillies game. I think that's the coolest. You're like, oh hey, I can I can do the pot. I just have to do it while I'm heading to go work a Phillies game. That that's that's awesome. Well, we'll see how awesome it is. I guess it depends on how the game goes. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here talking NFL draft. And, you know, one of the themes of this week has just been that you can get so engrossed in your own team that you forget to take a look at what your neighbors are doing. And just, I, but I'll tell you this, because you guys are the Jets and I have this morbid curiosity for everything that happens to you guys, <laughs> because I'm a fan of shape for it. I mean, we know that. So I look at your team, and I'm looking at this. I mean, I mean the Jets are my, if, if I had to say 1A and 1B in terms of the most interesting things I'm looking for this draft weekend, the Jets are 1B. Just to watch this draft unfold is going to be really telling about Joe Douglas, about what his plan for the future is, about how Robert Saleh and his kind of defensive acumen might play into your draft plans. How much of that are you going to be keeping an eye on? Well, it's going to be fascinating because I think everyone knows what's going to happen at number two overall. There's not a lot of mystery there with Zach Wilson. So what you boil down to there is how does this guy do over the next couple of years because Joe is clearly staking his job on that decision. But there's no mystery on draft night. So if we talk about everything beyond that, then it becomes – what are they going to do in terms of players they target and positions they target, and how are they going to play the board? I think that this gets to be very fascinating in the sense that a lot of Jets fans are scared to death about what's going to happen with the new quarterback because they saw what just happened to Sam Darnold. So they want offense, 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 and more offense. And I do think that the Jets are going to use – a lot of their resources on offense, but they are going to use quite a few on defense as well. I wouldn't be surprised to see them go corner or even edge rusher sometime within the first three picks that they have. 
I do think that they're going to go heavy on the O line, and, and certainly they'll go for some playmakers. But that's really where this is going to come down to because they have 11 picks, I believe, or 10 picks. I don't know that they're going to see them make a little bit of a move up, if not from 34 back into the first round, then perhaps from 23 up a couple of spots to get a player they really like. Because, guys, you know this. The smart general managers play the board. They sit there and they map out who they really want, what their strategy would be in terms of getting them at the spot that they pick at, and then if they need to make a move up a couple of spots, what they would do, and then if they're stuck at number 23, who would they grab there? Would they trade down? If so, how far are they going to go? Douglas has all of that mapped out. He talked about in a presser recently that he more or less set up situations for himself so that on draft night, if there's a player that he wants, he can move up the board a couple of spots without having to really stress it. Like, he's got relationships set up with different guys and, and handshake deals, so to speak, for if a certain guy falls and he wants to move up a few spots, which is what he did last year where he had a handshake deal in place with Jacksonville to move from 11 to 9 if he needed to do it. So the strategy will be fascinating, but really what this comes down to is can the Jets come out of this with a significant number of high-level starters, and most importantly, can they do it on offense where they need to surround the young quarterback with talent? As you guys saw in Buffalo, that's so important to a quarterback's success. Oh, 100%. So that's really where I think the storyline will be. Everyone knows what they're going to do at number two, but what do they do to surround the player that they are picking at number two later on that becomes the big question that's one of the most fascinating things about your team so you guys have five picks inside the top 90 which is a significant that's a significant arsenal of capital beyond the quarterback pick because that's getting all the attention you guys have a boatload of needs i mean you don't feel the two-win football team when you have an overwhelming amount of talent on the roster that's just a fact even if the coaching play calling even if all that is horrible if your roster was set at most positions with NFL-level talent, we'll call it average or better, you don't win just two games. You know, you guys lost a lot of tight ones. There was a lot of close games that the Jets, I think if they had a little more talent, probably could have walked away with last season. Now, it wouldn't have netted you the quarterback it's going to, but ultimately it would have shown out in the end result. So... One of the things I keep going back and forth, and you're talking about them having the ability to be aggressive in terms of chasing players that, hey, this is a guy we like, this is a guy we like. One of the, <laughs> the things that I love about the makeup, I can't believe I just said that, Chris, I love about the Jets, <laughs> is that <laughs> your roster is set up as such. Now, the Buffalo Bills, by comparison, have a roster where, depending on the position, it would be very hard for a rookie that we drafted this year in some cases, to to crack the final 53. Or to, to at least, if they did, make any kind of significant contribution out of the gate. You know, they would essentially, at a lot of positions on our roster, based on how we're built now, that rookie would have to sit and kind of wait his turn in order to get playing time. Whereas with the Jets, I think that what I love about what you guys have is with all this draft capital, you have the ability for the first time in forever to sit back and maybe even if you are aggressive in terms of moving up a pick or two or this guy's here, that guy's here, you can genuinely just take 
best player available in a bunch of different spots and know that that rookie is still going to be able to come in and have an opportunity to learn the trade <laughs> as a starter and or at least as a contributor significantly to your team. I just think that that actually does make your draft more interesting because that dynamic is going to shape who I think who they target. Yeah, I think it's funny because when I spoke to Mike Farrell, who was the national recruiting director for Rivals for 25 years, and we spoke about all the different prospects who he's been covering since they were in high school, he joked that the one positive of heading into the draft and being the Jets is that you have so many positions where you need players that you can't really go wrong. Like you said, you could pick best player available pretty much anywhere other than defensive line and you're filling a hole so you can pick who you like and you don't have to worry about somebody saying oh you didn't need this guy at this position or that guy at that position because even if you look at a position like safety which i don't expect them to target early yeah they have marcus may but he's on a one-year franchise tag yeah they got lamarcus joiner but he's on a one-year deal yeah, they got Ashton Davis, but we don't know what he is yet. So you could take a safety and not think twice about it if you wanted to in, like, the third round. I don't think they will, but they could. So, as you said, it comes down to best player available. But I do think that the Jets will probably put a premium on premium positions and also on offensive positions. I don't think that receiver is as big of a need as interior offensive line specifically, and then running back is a bigger need, but probably less important. Just because, look, not that they're a murderer's row, but Corey Davis, Keelan Cole, Jamison Crowder, and Denzel Mims is not a bad for receivers to have. It's a solid group. It's not the greatest. You don't have that one number one stud guy, but you've got four pretty solid receivers. So, yeah, if you can get a really good one, Go for it. But the thing is, this draft is so stacked with wide receivers. I think what you really want to look at, for me at least, is there are only a handful of corners that I would take in the first two rounds, and there are only a handful of tackles that I would I would want in that first round area, right? So you kind of play the board, like I said, and see who falls. Mm-hmm. If you need to jump up a couple of picks to grab somebody like Kevin Jenkins from Oklahoma State, Cool, go ahead. That's what the extra draft capital is for, right? How dare you speak if that you into existence? Jump up a couple of... How dare I'm you? Sorry, Drew. Sir. I said, how dare you speak that into existence on my podcast? I was very pointed <laughs> this week when I said, you keep that man. Uh, Brett Coleman referred to him as the most violent college football player he's yeah. ever seen in his life. You keep him the hell out of the AFC East and away from my football team. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually like him a lot. It's funny because. Luke Grant, who does some phenomenal work for us over at Play Like a Jet and also is the co-host of Play Like a Jet Live on Wednesdays in conjunction with U Stadium, he was in on Jenkins real early, and he made a video that we have up on our YouTube channel, and we titled it Kevin Jenkins' Smashing Machine because he just goes around throwing dudes and smashing them, and he's just a beauty to watch. Like you said, as Brett uh, very aptly put it, He's arguably the most violent man in this draft in a beautiful way. So I think if you look at the tackles, right, you could get one that could maybe start a guard this year and then slide to tackle later. So everyone expects Rashawn Slater 
and Penny Sewell to go in the top ten, and I think they will. So they're probably out of the question. And then after that, you've got three guys that I think you could consider if they if they either fall to twenty three or they or they're close, right? Christian Darasaw from Virginia Tech. Everybody has had him pegged as a top fifteen player, but I'm not hearing as much buzz on him as I am about Elijah Barrett Tucker from USC, who also I think has a chance to be a top fifteen player. And then there's Tevin Jenkins. I think if you can get any of those three guys, Darasaw, Jenkins, or Barrett Tucker, and you can do it without giving up a ton, go for it. Then there are a couple of corners that I really, really like, and then I think there's a bit of a drop. So I, I think Patrick Sertain is really good, excellent technique. I don't know that he's going to be elite, but I think he could be a really good corner. J.C. Horn, to me, is the top guy in his class. I think he's an absolute stud. But I don't think Sertain or Horn get past, like, the top 12. After that, though, it gets interesting because you have Greg Newsom from Northwestern, and people will talk about how he's injury-prone and he can't stay on the field, but I think people really need to understand the difference between somebody who has chronic injuries or serious injuries and somebody that just gets nicked up and misses time because the latter category you can deal with. The former category, which is what Caleb Farley falls into with two surgeries on his lumbar of his of his spine, that's one where you really want to be worried because I love what Caleb Farley brings to the table, but two surgeries in the spinal area, I'm not picking him anywhere near the top 34. Well, here's so the, you, you I, if just, I'm looking at it, you the just, three guys that I really uh, excuse me the um, the five guys that I really like are the three tackles, and then if Newsom or say Horn or Sertain were to drop, and I guess that's six, but I don't, I don't think that's realistic. However, what, what I could see happening is if all those guys are off the board, and they very well could be, the Jets end up in a situation where they either have to go best player available or they trade down a few spots. I really don't think they should reach for somebody like Creed Humphrey. I like Creed Humphrey, good pass protector, not so great as a run protector. But 23 is way too early for me. You could maybe trade down a few spots and get him. So that's what I mean about playing the board, honestly. At 34, maybe Asante Samuel Jr. or Tyson Campbell. Those are the two guys that I like in that second-round range at corner. So that's really where I think their attention should be. It's possible that there are guys that they like that uh, at off-ball linebacker or even maybe at running back. Maybe they really like Etienne or Najee Harris that they could go with there in the 23 to 34 range. But I'd be looking corner and offensive line. So you've painted this best case scenario kind of situation for us where you're, you know, you guys get your quarterback of the future, you get some offensive line talent, you get a cornerback who can help your defense. I mean, you guys spent some money in free agency, so that'll help your front seven, especially in Sully's new defense that you're coming in and installing. There's going to be some breaking in process, so getting some, there's probably going to be some prospects who are carryovers who don't fit, kind of like there was, Chris, with Sean McDermott. When yeah. he took over from Rex Ryan's 3-4 and turned it into a 4-3, there was some players who hung around, but only for a season or two, and eventually they were replaced by rookies. That's part of this process. Some of these rookies that you're going to see drafted throughout the course will help out these free agent acquisitions. This all sounds good. What's the worst case scenario for you in your mind, for you personally, if we're sitting here doing this again next week and you're going, guys... My team absolutely shit the bed. <laughs> what does that draft in your mind look like? 
PFF had one that made me roll my eyes. It had Wilson at two, and then it had Caleb Farley at 23 and Asante Samuel Jr. at 34. Now, I like the idea of Samuel Jr. at 34, but picking two cornerbacks in the top 34 seems a little bit insane when you're looking to build around your young quarterback that you're going to pick at number two overall, right? So I think that the, the thing that I would be nervous about is an overinvestment on the defensive side of the ball. The other thing that I don't want to say that I would be furious about it, but I'd be a little sketchy on it, would be picking a running back at number 23, whether it's Etienne or Najee Harris. I totally understand the philosophy behind it. I've heard that Etienne is rapidly rising upwards to the point where people think he might go in the, say, 18 to 25 range. But I just can't justify doing that when you have needs at more important positions, and I think they're going to be comparable players. Like, if you're talking about a running back that you think is going to be elite as opposed to a corner that you think is going to be average or something, fine. But if you see an even an edge rusher that you really like – that maybe you don't think it's going to be elite, but you think he's going to be very good. And then you have, say, Travis Etienne, who you think is going to be an excellent running back. I'm still taking that edge rusher over the running back because I think I can get a really good running back later on in the draft. Now, I wouldn't despise the show, and he made a really persuasive case for why it makes sense, especially when you have a, run, a young running back. You look at what Ezekiel Elliott did for Dak Prescott with the Cowboys, but I still wouldn't love it because I don't think it's the best use of assets. So I would say the two things I'm a little worried about, I'm not super worried about it, but these are the things that I wouldn't love, is if they overinvest on the defensive side of the ball or if they go running back with one of those really early picks. It's just not the way that I would go. That's awesome. I can't wait to see how it plays out. I can't wait to circle back and have this conversation with you once all the dust settles. Tell everybody what you got going on at Play Like a Jet here and where they can find you on social. Oh, man, what don't we have going on? So we've got all the YouTube stuff. Luke Grant's been uploading prospect videos. The one he put up on Kendrick Green is really, really good, and I think we've gotten quite a few hits on that one. You can subscribe to our channel. Playlikeajet.com is where we have all the written content. The podcast is available everywhere that you download podcasts. At Playlikeajet1 is the Twitter handle. And then, guys, we're doing a really special show with U Stadium. It's going to be a live draft show. We're going to be starting at 7 o'clock on Thursday night, draft night. And we are going to have a ton of special guests that are lined up and confirmed, including current NFL players, some pretty big names too, some people from all different teams, and I'm really looking forward to being the main host of this for you, Stadium. I'm really glad that they asked me to do it. So I'll be there the whole time. Unlike Drew, I'm not going to have my beers next to me because I want to make sure that I have all my faculties, but <sighs> I will probably eat my Wheaties that morning to make sure that I have the energy. So even if you're not a Jets fan, the U Stadium live stream is going to cover everything, all the teams around the league. If you don't want to deal with the NFL Network or ESPN's corny coverage, come to us. We're going to have some great guests and great analysis as well. So, again, even if you're not a Jets fan, if you're just a fan of the draft and you're a fan of the NFL, U Stadium, we're going to be doing a live stream 
make sure you download their app, but you can catch it on YouTube and all the other places that, that uh, do video. I know live Twitter and there's a couple of other ones, Facebook Live and all that. We'll have all, all the platforms you'll be able to find it. So really excited for that, guys, and uh, really excited to come back and talk to you next week after all the smoke clears. And so now we're left with the Miami Dolphins. And to help us walk through the Miami Dolphins pre-draft, Chris, I can't tell you how excited I've been about this all day. It's been over a year. Mr. Travis Wingfield of the Miami Dolphins on the line with us tonight. Going to crack a fresh one for this. How are you doing tonight, sir? You know, I was driving home from work, which humble brag is Hard Rock Stadium. And I had the windows down. It's a nice breezy 75 here in South Florida. The sun's behind the cloud, so it's not too bad. And I was thinking to myself, like, podcasts for me have become not stressful, but they are a lot of work because so much pre-planning goes into these podcasts, especially with guests, especially for the draft. And I was thinking to myself, it's going to be nice to just sit back and talk to two of my friends about football. Like, I feel like I'm in the version of, like, my toes are in the sand. I've got the Mai Tai, the button-down Hawaiian shirts open. Like, I'm ready for this, man. It's it's like a vacation of sorts of podcast. Let's let's do it, man. <laughs> One year, five months, and fifteen days. Counted it down. <laughs> Seventy-six weeks, twelve thousand seven hundred and sixty-eight hours. That's how long it's been since you last graced our airwaves. The person, Travis Wingfield, the person we've I, I've kind of given the moniker the prodigal son of the Rockpile Report, sir. <laughs> I mean, when when you think about it, it's crazy. You started off as a freelance writer. Welcome to Perfectville, Finalysis. Yep, that was the first. We got turned on to you by Kyle, Kyle Smith, Gittery. who from the AFC East Pros podcast, which, hey, cheers to those guys. Yeah, they need to make a comeback. And yes, they do. you did some of your very first podcast spots with us and then got into it yourself. And you were a frequent guest of the Rockpile Report. And then you became the host of Locked On. You, at one point, had a podcast that was just a mainstay in the top 100 of all Apple sports podcasts for Locked On. And then I'll never forget it. You messaged Chris and I. It's just a picture of you and Dan Marino standing together in the owner's suite saying, (laughs) guys, I got a story to tell you. And it's just been one of the coolest experiences since then to watch you kind of, just from a career standpoint, just take off. I mean... What your recent interview with head coach uh, Coach Flores? Uh, you got picked. Uh, that got picked up by Pro Football Talk, which is a cool feeling, I'm sure, to have a national outlet recognize some work you're doing. Uh, TV spots and training camp interviews. I'll never forget Chris texting me a picture of your face on NFL Network with the stadium in the background. It's like, is this reality? Like, what the hell is that? <laughs> that's that's Travis Wingfield. He's just on NFL Network. <laughs> Dude, the the funniest part about it is there have been so many temple moments, like even to like even now, because COVID had a way of like delaying everything. So like, like it's funny you mentioned being on TV. When I was at the combine last year, that was my first Dolphins assignment. Like my first day of work was actually in Indianapolis at the combine, and I had set up shop with a camera guy that we had sent down right before COVID became a part of our lives. You know, every single day, and we had a camera guy that would just follow me around. We'd find like Bucky Brooks or Charles Davis or Charlie Cassidy. And we interviewed these guys on the floor and we set up right behind the NFL network desk they had there. And I kept on getting on TV and I was getting texts all day like, hey, I see you behind like Adam Sch- or not Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport and Peter Schrager. I'm just like, oh, yeah, I guess I guess that's my life now. But like 
yeah, man, you mentioned it. There's, there's so many moments where it's just like, this is unreal. And, you know, my, my story is so unique and, and to get to this point and, you know, big credit to Jason Jenkins of the Miami Dolphins for, for seeing something in me and believing in me. And that was really what I was looking for for so many years, as you guys know, trying to get in the industry. It was just someone that believed in me. He's He's been that guy, my champion, and it's been it's been a fun ride to this point, man. Dude, it's crazy to think that you're a quote-unquote less than one percenter. And no, not a biker that's caught a felony on behalf of his club, but uh, <laughs> part of the less than one percent of every amateur podcaster that actually makes it to having their face on TV, having chats with Peter Schrager, getting to call guys like O.J. McDuffie co-workers, and now you're here with two idiots from Buffalo breaking your balls for not having a chin. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. It's got That's be- what I'm saying. It's like the nice little like relax, like I'm just having a good time with it because these, these are the most genuine conversations I ever had, you know, even back in those days. And then now today it's like, Look forward to this stuff, man. Well, I'll tell you, we're glad to have you because I I was saying it earlier, and I mean this with all sincerity. To me, the Dolphins are probably the most interesting team in this entire draft this upcoming weekend. And I know that might sound crazy for someone who's a Bills fan, but when you look at this draft and the makeup of the roster, or at least for the Buffalo Bills, as we discussed in our Bills podcast this week, there's not that many places a rookie would step in and make an immediate impact especially not drafting where we are in the draft. So with that in mind, if I'm looking for storylines, I'm looking for something that's just interesting from a football fan perspective, the Dolphins are my number one with a bullet because they're that team that, unlike the Jets, who also have a lot of draft capital, the Dolphins are this perfect combination of being well-positioned in this draft in terms of capital on hand. They already have a solid base of talent to build off of, and they're sharing a division with Buffalo kind of in a bid to avenge that just narrow, narrow miss of the playoffs last year that came in almost like, I don't even want to say it was, Chris, what was it, anticlimactic fashion your season ended? Oh, yeah. Like, there's, you guys have to find a way to avenge that. And I'm sure that that, I mean, you talk to the greats, you talk to GMs, you talk to coaches, they don't forget moments like that. Like, that's something that you – Sean McDermott. Sean McDermott has learned from every single one of those moments he's had throughout his career. So I have no doubt your team will too. And that makes the team's approach to this draft so interesting. Now, for covering all this, I mean, I know you, you we used to go to you as a draft resource all the time. In terms of this draft and the positions that are up for grabs, where some of the strengths of this draft are, do you think that aligns pretty well with what the Dolphins' needs are? It's funny you mention it that way because, like, I always, by this time of year, I've done so many of the mock drafts and I've done so many podcasts where I explore different avenues or different possibilities or outcomes or whatever it might be. And you start to hone in on, okay, this pick is best for this position, this group of positions. And this pick is best for, you know, this other spot. We can circle back and get that need taken care of. But this year, for whatever reason, even today I was texting, you mentioned buddies or, you know, co-workers with OJ McDuffie. He and Seth Levin of the Fish Tank podcast, which is great for any football fan because they just cover, they have players come on the podcast and tell you stories that you wouldn't hear anywhere else. But I was texting Seth, the, the, the co-host of that podcast, and I was ready to send him my, here's my picks at 6, 18, 36, and 50. And I was writing it out and I thought, wait a minute, they could do this too. And I was like, delete, because I don't know. Like, it's there's so many different avenues they could explore. The one thing I do think I feel pretty confident about, but again, you know, take it with a grain of salt because Chris Greer and Brian Flores have have shown you in the past that they will, you know, throw the scent off the trail. I mean, last year, 
at the draft time, people thought they were trading up for a tackle, which was hilarious to me, but they got you onto that trail. Uh, this year, to me, it seems like that number six position coming back up, spending the first round pick they had acquired in that original trade down. You talk about that week 17 unceremonious Buffalo game, which I'm glad I didn't talk to you guys before. <laughs> <laughs> Good God. Uh, how many drop passes were in that game? I mean, even even when it was 50-whatever to whatever, I don't even care. I don't want to talk about it. But even when it was like that, they were still dropping balls. Like even when Tua had eight-man coverage and there was soft spots in the zone, he was just throwing these little 12-yard dig routes trying to pick up yards and get momentum and get some confidence brewing, and they were dropping balls. And, you know, things just weren't clicking for the offense. They had chances to get back in the game on a deep shot to Devontae Parker that goes off of his fingertips. So you look at this draft, you know, Peter King talks about it, Dane Brugler, Daniel Jeremiah, whoever you want to reference, and they say that these top three receivers in this year's class are each better than all of the top three guys from last year's class. And we said that last year's class, you know, DJ, speaking of him, said that that was the best receiver group or receiver draft class that he had done since he'd been in this business since 2003. I think this one's better. I think it's better at the top. I think the players that are in this class fit and jive with what the Dolphins have as far as needs go. I think you look at Devontae Parker on one side of the football and, you know, he's he's the contested catch, the possession guy, the move, the change, but also can get explosive down the field. You've got Preston Williams on the other side with Will Fuller, who I could just rave all day about his feet. And what's the big weakness in there? It's the guy that can move about the formation, that can play in the backfield, play in the slot, and give you that speed dynamic from both inside and outside. I think there's so many guys in this draft class that fit that need. So to me, the sixth pick, the way all the breadcrumbs have gone, hint towards a, a playmaker on the offense to help Tua Tungavailoa and get this offense going to kind of match with how good the defense performed last year. And then at the 18th pick, it's like that's when I start to really just – I don't know, man. Like, Because I look at the news with Eric Flowers being traded to Washington. All of a sudden, that kind of causes a bit of a shuffle on the offensive line. And to me, the best right tackle in the draft is Tevin Jenkins, and that might be the biggest need on the offensive line now. So maybe he comes into that spot. Maybe it's Christian Derrissaw. Maybe Elijah Vera Tucker slides. But also, that 18 pick could be the first edge rusher off the board in this class, which we kind of have a need there as well. So does Jalen Phillips' medical concern you? Does Quiddy Pay's you know, usage at Michigan or production that he you know didn't quite live up to the potential? Does that the, is that the guy you want to go with? So a long-winded way of saying, man, I don't know. And that's what makes it so fascinating. And that's why I think it goes back to your point about how the Dolphins really hold the keys to this draft as far as how the intrigue lies, a team that's been so aggressive to go up or down the board. I'm sure we'll talk about you know, future future draft pick scenarios that come along outside of six and eighteen, but yeah, man, I, I I just don't really know. So this, you touched on something that's had me really curious. This recent trend of the the Miami Dolphins. I they're, they're, in fact, I'm going to go find it. But this recent trend of issuing established talent on the roster and kind of in the pursuit of what do you I don't even know what you want to call it in the pursuit of a draft future draft pick guys that they just signed perfect example yeah, today was the Eric Flowers trade uh, a couple a month and a half ago maybe a month and change ago it were no it was about a month ago it was the trade of Shaq Lawson uh, the release of Kyle Van <laughs> there's there's some things here where you, when you look at it and you say to yourself, okay, they're getting, they're taking guys that they paid for. And what they're doing is they're essentially doing a conversion of cap space now into draft picks. What they do with those draft picks is, to your point, it gives them the ability to be more aggressive in terms of their early picks in that top 100 range. 
are you a fan of that concept? Yeah, I, I am because I think that the entire philosophy coming into this program for Coach Flores and, and Chris Greer was to to build through the draft, and that was, I mean, that's what they learned, right? They're, uh, Chris Greer was a Bill Parcells guy. Brian Flores grew up in the New England system under Bill Belichick and those folks. So uh, building through the draft and and getting guys that fit your system and your culture and you know tough, smart, aggressive, physical, disciplined players has been his mantra since day one. And I think where that you really get you kind of peel the, the onion back here, Drew, and think about what why the Dolphins are in that position. They went into 2020 where they had to sign 10 free agents and not just, you know, bottom tier three free agent guys that you get, you know, in the month of May or, or mm-hmm. late April, whatever it might be. They had to go out and find a person to play left guard because to, to fill the old, you know, money ball quote, if a ground ball's hit to first base today, there's no one there to stop it. And so they had to come into last year's free agency with the mindset of, we got money. We've got more salary cap than anybody else in the league. We have to spend it. And if you don't use it, it just goes by the board. Stephen Ross has proven time and time again that his commitment to putting all the resources he has onto the football field in an attempt to build a winner, he's going to do that. So we have that in our back pocket. And so what the Dolphins did with those contracts, because free agency, you know, just by its simple nature, is a pennies on the dollar type of pursuit and that's kind of what you saw with this Dolphins free agency class I mean Byron Jones he catches a lot of flack I'm not really sure why I think he's a hell of a player one of the top 10 cornerbacks in the league but he's he's part of that free agent group crop that I think was a big hit Emmanuel Ogba was a big hit Ted Karras gave you 16 games of good center play last year on a low contract he was a hit Landon Roberts was a good hit now you maybe didn't get the value you signed Shaq Lawson, Kyle Van Noy, Eric Flowers for, but because of the way they structured those contracts and had these outs where they could get out after a year or two, that allows you to buy temporary wins while you develop this talent like an Andrew Van Ginkle, who had a great season last year and figures to play a more prominent role, or a guy like Noah Ignogany, who didn't play much, but you expect a big jump as his age 21 season now is upon us after kind of having a redshirt year. So it's the idea of using every avenue you have at your disposal to build a football team and to give yourself flexibility both in the draft like you mentioned aggressiveness to go up to go down and flexibility when it comes to your own roster in terms of getting out of contracts that you owe future money to get out of it right now let's not waste any more time and bang our head into the wall and and focus on this player that didn't work out the way we hoped it would let's go ahead and get out and pursue the next thing so shoot your shot move on if it doesn't work and it's it's kind of a welcome practice here because in the past for a long time it was let's just stick with the status quo plug a couple of free agents in a kiko alonzo or a, a you know a tj mcdonald and see if that works and it never did so i welcome this new you know lo- new line of thinking here in miami well that's i i mean it's got to be a breath of fresh air <laughs> you get to see a lot more of it than we see or a lot more than probably more than you can even talk about which is fine by me because honestly <laughs> if i had to hear any more positive things about the dolphins i feel like i'd get sick <laughs> like i feel like it would make me physically ill so obviously coming into this draft, your team needs to draft a couple more cornerbacks because, you know. <laughs> okay. Well, they just need to draft a new cornerback so you can say his name correctly. Listen, I, I for the life of me, I can't. We, I just call him alphabet soup because I can't I can't figure out how to say it. who would, the, the rookie you guys took in the first round last year. What was his name? Noah Igbenogany. 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 Igben, nah, nah, not going to ever say that correctly. I, I promise you I'm not going to be able to say that right ever. Um, <laughs> but that's a joke. Obviously, your team is stacked at the cornerback position. But frequent guest Elf Artiaga has pointed out to us in the past. You got Will Fuller on a one-year tryout. 
you've got some, you know, Devontae Parker, you've got Preston Williams, whatever he's worth, because it's kind of up and down with him. He can't stay healthy. Dire need of a facelift there. And as you alluded to, there's some skill play. This draft might be. I mean, I think Mark Schofield said that last year's draft, there was 13 wide receivers taken in the top 60. This draft could beat that out because the wide receiver group is just so deep and so multifaceted. And so obviously that's a place the Dolphins are going to be looking. And on the offensive line, you could say, especially in the wake of today's trade, that there's maybe some room for that to... There's maybe some room for them there to continue growing the interior offensive line as well as figuring out how to get themselves some bookend tackle play. Outside of that, what other position do you think? But do you know, Throw the wide receiver, tight end, throw that whole skill set thing out. Offensive line, where, what else do you think is the next cardinal need for the Dolphins? You said outside receiver and O-line? Mm-hmm. Outside playmaker and O-line? Yes. Um, yeah. It's hard I've, to say because I've seen people pounding the table, Dolphins fans, for a running back with that 18th yeah. pick. Now we talked to Mark, uh, Matt Waldman, and he breaks it down for us. Is because we asked how many running backs. If I put the under over at one, how many would one and a half? How many running backs do you think would be taken in the first round this year? And he said, I'd take the under. That he doesn't think there's really because the other. Because the wide receivers, they said if you're trying to increase the, the, the potency of your offense, the, I guess the depth of this draft and the talent level of this draft really falls to the wide receiver position. So you're going to see more of those picks than you would a running back, and that could potentially push them down the board. Given the way you guys are constructed, do you still see the Dolphins as a team who could potentially take a running back in the first round? You know, it's funny. Quick, quick uh, sidebar here, real quick. That I'm sure you're going to hate, Drew. But I saw, I saw this rumor the other day that the Buffalo Bills were thinking about trading up for Travis Etienne, and I'm sure you just love that. I wanted to drive However, both of my thumbs directly into my eye sockets, Travis. Thanks for asking. Because <laughs> I, I, I read that and I thought, oh no, I don't want to defend that and Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley and like that was that was nightmare fuel for me because of how I think he fits into that offense with Brian Dayball. But we can we can broach that later if you guys want to. As far as the Dolphins' needs, yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about the running back class that's so unique this year is it, it is deep in a way. Like, you, you have certain elements you can add late, whether it's Kenneth Gainwell and his pass receiving skills or, you know, Kylan Hill's a bit of a bruiser who can do a little bit of everything or, you know, uh, Ramondre Stevens is a between-the-tackles just plotter, a guy that could just drop the helmet and shoulder pads and run you over. But if you look at the top three guys, I think each of those three guys – is an 80% snap taker, a three down player who you, you plug in day one and you just, you run the, you, you basically run the car until the tires fall off with, with each of those three guys. And that drop off there from ETN, Najee and, and Javante is so stark to the rest of the class that I almost elevate that position because of that. So you have to ask yourself, does, does one of those guys make it to 36? Because if not, you're in a position where now instead of having you know, Javante Williams or Najee Harris or Travis Etienne with Miles Gaskin as a very good 1A. I think Miles Gaskin's criminally underrated, but I do believe the Dolphins have a need at the position because that's just the way the NFL is today. You need multiple guys at that spot. So I think if you want to add a guy that is going to be that true bell cow, that true three down guy, it has to be one of those three. Otherwise, you're kind of hoping and praying 
that someone late in the draft, and it happens all the time, but you can't bank on it. You're hoping that one of those guys can become that guy for you or that Miles Gaskin just is your guy. Maybe that's the plan. That's okay too. Well, but I think that when you look at the way the, the position lines up, that's kind of where you have to go. So I think that as far as what you need on this team, that's that's the primary one, but you can also transition the offense and, and work around that and, and get out of it. So, And it's the same thing at the defensive, you know, I call it the edge position because in this defense, and you guys know this, there's – there's really no defined position in the entire defense, much less in the front seven. This team has ran, you know, 2-4, two, 2-3, two, 2-2. Two, two. They've, they've put one down lineman. They've had five linebackers in the field, no defensive lineman. They just – they are going to run every possible front and combination you can. So when you when you hear people say, well, they've got to replace Shaq Lawson, it's like they, they – yeah, I guess in that one formation, the four you, down. What you front. need to do is – the more I propose thing to say would be you need to replace his production. You don't need to replace that specific prototype as far as or archetype of a player. You need exactly. to find a way to pr- replicate the production. As long as you can do that, no one's going to question. It's like, Chris, it's like cooking. You have a recipe. I have a recipe. Is it like I'm trying to cook a prime rib. Perfect example. As long as it's medium rare and it's seasoned well, you and I could go about it two completely different ways. But as long as it gets done, it gets done. If it makes it to the table... Nobody has a complaint because it's not dried out and it still tastes good. No one's going to fight you about it. That's kind of how your defense is. By the way, (laughs) because big why? Because everything's meat and booze references. Well, I mean, we had my terrible my time analogy earlier. It's just it's fun to. I just I love the irreverent stuff that you guys go off on the the tangents. It's the best. Like that's Ah. that to me is what makes great podcasting. You have the great content. You get away. You come back. I mean, like around the NFL, for instance. It's, that's what makes them the goats. They they get off the topic and they bring it back, and it's it's beautiful, man. That's that's a great example right there. It's, you know, the whole chef versus the baker thing type of deal. It's I love it. Well, I'll tell you this: it, it's high praise coming from somebody who I don't know does this professionally. So I'll you know what I'll crack a beer to that. Hey. So with that, so with that in mind, I'm thinking about this as I'm listening to you talking about running back. How important is this? Is this draft? Whether it's in the f- because of the wide receivers they get, or because of the running backs they get, how much more support does Tua need from this draft class? Do you think to really start? You know, because you think about I think about Josh Allen in 2018. He was kind of hamstrung with a subpar roster that was built specifically to take all of our cap woes, pack him into one season. He was never supposed to see the field, but Nathan Peterman was so bad that we were finally just like, okay, I guess we have to roll Josh Allen out here. He was never supposed to play that year. So with that in mind, he took a beating, and then his second year started to show development as the talent around him got better. Tua, on the other hand, kind of got handed him. He got handed a much better roster, or at least one with much more investment made at various positions. How, this draft class, how important to Tua's development is it going to be for them to really hit on running back, wide receiver, maybe even another tight end? And how to, to you as a Dolphins fan, as a Dolphins podcaster, how important is that to you? I think it's. I mean, I think it's important to every single young quarterback that's ever been drafted into the league because we talk all the time about it's not about when he goes, it's where he goes. Right, the, the infrastructure in place, and people are talking about. The biggest hits in this draft class are going to be Trevor Lawrence and the quarterback that goes to the 49ers because they have the infrastructure and they have the head coach. And, you know, part of that is what you put around the quarterback. Look at Tom Brady in 2019. His career was done, right? And I'm using air quotes for the non-video crowd. 
I don't know if you guys have any, even have a video element, but no, nobody wants to see my face. Right? He, he goes from, you know, Demir bird and Nikhil Harry to Mike Evans and Rob Gronkowski and, you know, playoff Lenny and, and Antonio Brown and Scott and he wins a Super Bowl and he's, he's back to good old Tom Brady, right? Like it's just, it weapons matter more today than I think they ever have. And again, like not again, I didn't say it already, but I'm sure this has come up on your podcast before. Like Tua gets so much crap that I just cannot fathom. Like, what was- I guess we forgot. I guess we forgot that tank for Tua was a thing. I guess we forgot that he was the greatest college quarterback, really production wise, and the, the way he looked the part. I guess all that's out the window because of how he fared in two ball games where he got taken out because the Dolphins were in a effing playoff hunt. I'm passionate about this. You can't tell. Dolphins were in a playoff hunt, and they wanted to spark the offense on a day where their rookie quarterback wasn't seeing it the best, and they brought the veteran in because the offensive line was not holding up, and Ryan Fitzpatrick saw things quicker, processed quicker, after playing 16 years in the NFL compared to a guy who'd played three games. Big fucking surprise, right? Like, wow. Call, <laughs> hey, call me crazy. Pro football oh. talk is already... Pro football talk is recently as yesterday was still talking about how, well, at number six, the Miami Dolphins are positioned to get QB4 if they really want it. And I'm like, what? Wait, what? What kind of strange? Like, Chris, I feel like I've taken shrooms or something. Like, what? <laughs> this team just turned to the quarterback in the top quick, 10. You talked about Josh Allen's weapons in 2018, and I'm definitely not going to throw anybody under the bus here, but going, the Dolphins were trailing in week 15 to the New England Patriots in a must win game, and Tua had to bring the offense from behind to win that game. And he was without his top seven players in terms of guys that had the most yards for scrimmage in the Dolphins last year. Devontae Parker was out. Preston Williams. Mike Kosicki got banged up late. Miles Gaskin was out. Uh, I can't. Jakeem Grant, I think, was out. Like, I remember that game. Brought them back with a W because of the quarterback and the defense. And that was the only reason they won that game. So, like, I, I just hear all this crap all offseason. And I'm like, bring it on, man. This is still the same quarterback that I thought was, you know, an elite level prospect coming out of college. You look at the pictures on Twitter right now. He can actually work out this offseason opposed to just rehabbing a hip. He's jacked as shit. Like, let's go, man. <laughs> I, I, I'm so excited to watch Tua just <laughs> no. clown out of a bunch of folks. And I think the reason that he gets a lot of the crap is because he does have that star, you know, that, that kind of star around him. Like, he's the type of kid that people look at and like, He's so popular. He's got millions of followers on Twitter. He's got these ad campaigns. It's almost like a Baker Mayfield thing where people just want to see him fail because he's so public facing. I don't get it. He's a hell of a player. Like that's all there is to it. Well, t- yeah, build around to it because he needs weapons. And if you get him the right types of, maybe we can continue on this if you want to ask this question, follow it. But there's a certain type of receiver that he needs if you want to go into that. Well, so real quick, as a guy who has watched Josh Allen's career and hated the pick, I've never been happier to be wrong. Right. But up until this year, I wasn't a believer. And I feel like there's a lot of Dolphins fans who it's the same dynamic because they saw what they saw. And if you're not good right away, then you're bad. Well, then you're bad. Not, hey, there's a learning curve. But when you get it, it might be great. When you finally get to what Tua's high mark is, it could be incredible. Maybe it's and maybe he'll never get there. Maybe he is all this talk about how he's a product of Alabama with, you know, he had the most talented wide receivers and the most talented running back and the most talented offensive line. And that's why he was productive. Well, you know what? They could go out and get him that. And if that's the case, then watch out. Watch out for everybody who tweeted something. And I, and I blame I blame Josh Allen for the the, you know, the kind of pushback that Tua is getting. I blame a Patrick Mahomes because what Tua does well is not 
and I, I hate this phrase because it's so like, you know, look at me on my high horse, but to the casual football observer, the things that Tua does well are not really readily apparent. They're not tangible. It's processing, it's accuracy, it's knowing the defense and how to manipulate the rush and get, you know, get away from certain things. Whereas Josh Allen can throw a football over them, their mountains from his knees. It's, a, you know, a thousand yards away. Patrick Mahomes can throw the ball out of the damn stadium. And so people see these physical traits and they're like that, you know, the Leonardo DiCaprio meme. I want that right there. <laughs> that's not Tua's game. But you know who became the all-time leading stat guy and the beat Dan Marino's record, every single record, was Drew Brees. And what does he do physically? Like, it's, there's different ways. Like you mentioned, you can make a goddamn pork roast in different ways. And Tua might not do it the same way, you know, Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes do. But, damn it, he did it really well in college. It looked like it translates to the NFL. There were moments last year where he was just red hot. Turn on the Bengals game. He was hitting pass. I mean, Bengals, I know, pass after pass and just racking it up. And it, it just looked so pretty in rhythm and in tempo. I just, man, I could I could talk for hours on this, but that's not what you guys have in the podcast. So we can go ahead and move on. If your draft were to be skewed too heavily defensively in an effort to try to shore up the front seven, and if they were to pay too much attention to areas like safety where they've lost some veteran talent, and maybe they're... If the draft board doesn't fall the way that they expect it to, or they can't work the deals that they'd like to, would you consider that to be the worst thing that could happen for the Dolphins, where they only make minor tweaks to the offensive skill positions and go into this year with only a similarly upgraded version of what they had last year, considering all the picks they have? Yeah, because I look at this class as a way to, like you, we talked about in the previous questions, to dramatically overhaul the skill positions and to inf- you know infuse that that position of the team with just uber talent. Like if I don't know if you're going to come back to the best case scenario question. Are you going to? Probably not. Okay, so what my best case scenario would be is to to stick and pick if Pitts is there at six, and then we make a move to come back up and get Jalen Waddle, and then we make another move to come back up and get Javante Williams, and all of a sudden we have this offense that you just cannot match up with and go empty. That's that's my dream scenario. Now, if it's worst case scenario, Pitts goes off the board. I guess Chase probably goes off the board too, and all of a sudden you're you're sitting here at pick six, and maybe it is Jalen Waddle or Devontae Smith that you always wanted in that spot, but then you kind of ask yourself, well, did we have to get to six to make that happen? Because you, you might look at that that situation and say, well, now we can go back again. Well, if you go back from six to, let's say, nine with the Broncos who want to come up and get Trey Lance, and maybe that trade market has been a little bit depreciated because of what the Dolphins got from the Niners to go up just nine spots. I mean, my goodness, what a haul that was. If the Broncos, you know, don't recip, don't, you know, give you back that first round pick you gave up to go from 12 back up to six then maybe you're in a situation where you kind of overplayed your hand and you still get the player that you wanted, but you wind up with less draft capital in the end. So I think that pitch going off the board at four just kind of throws a monkey wrench into the whole thing. So I think that that's where the worst case scenario starts. And then if you look at that 18th pick, let's say, you know, Phillips pay Tevin Jenkins are all off the board. You know, I, I don't have a problem with the running back at that spot. If you love him, if you think that he's going to be a, 300 carry guy that plays you know 85 percent of your snaps but just you talked about you know matt waldman saying over under one and a half i i tend to agree that 36 is a better spot for that running back because of the other positional value you can get there so i would say if you lose the positional value of tackle and edge at 18 and if pitts is off the board of six that would be the worst case scenario i can't wait i mean i dude we love you but i say this with the utmost sincerity I hope all the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else but your team. 
And so, dude, I felt I, I felt good for you guys last year in that playoff run. I literally was able to separate my my fandom to the rock pile guys, and I was like, you know what? Seeing them beat Baltimore, I'm sure that Drew's probably already been body slammed through about 17 tables. Like, I I felt good for you guys at that moment. Well, I appreciate that, sir. And you know, what? it's it, you know, I'll reciprocate when you guys make the playoffs. It'll be fun. We'll probably get together and do this again. Until then, where can people find your show, and where can they find me on social? So the Drive Time Podcast, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get those from. And we do three times a week in the offseason. We ramped it back up for the draft. We had Coach Flores on this week. I mean, you can't miss that one. Uh, we have a two-part draft preview series with Kyle Krabs of Locked On Dolphins, the guy that I recommended. Take over my job, and he has taken that and done an amazing job with it. It's two hours of draft content right there. you got to check that out. And then on social, at Wingfield NFL. Um, and then MiamiDolphins.com and look for my name on the tab. Mike DeBate. Just say it right. Debate. <laughs> Mike DeBate. And Mike DeBate. Scott Mason. And the returning, Travis Wingfield. They do such great work. Oh, what a conversation. Yeah. We're cracking a fresh one for this. It's been fun, and we'll be back next week with a post-draft knee-jerk reaction recap with the entire AFC's Roundup crew, as well as a whole slew of Bill's content over on our Rockpaw Report podcast, including some fun shows a little bit different from what we've done before. We'll have our annual draft recap with uh, Nate Gary from WGR 550. We're going to have a RAS breakdown. Those of you who know what the RAS score is with uh, Math Kelly Platty. Creator of the Relative Athletic Score. We're going to break down the draft class by RAS score. And then we're also going to have our Mocking the Bills Mock Drafts exercise, where we're going to be scoring mocks from Bills content creators who are brave enough to publicly air them and handing out some awards. It's going to be a good time. Make sure you show up for it. But for tonight, we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. Our guests are amazing. And this has been the RAFC East Roundup. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Mail checks, invoices, documents, and everything you need to keep your business running. Get rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS. And with the mobile app, you can take care of mailing on the go. Make the same no-brainer decisions as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up at Stamps.com with code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.